Good morning, Promise Youth Ministry. Would you guys like to hear the story of the pink gorilla? No? Are you sure? Why not? I think you probably don't want to hear that story because the ending is terrible. Despite the fact that I've told the story for many years, and I think I've gotten pretty good at telling the story, the ending sucks. So it doesn't matter how I say it. It doesn't matter how many times I say it. Because the ending's bad, the story is ruined. And think about a great movie, right? What makes a movie great? The storyline is important, but it's the ending. It's the ending that makes it great. I think that's why, you know, I don't really like horror films um, for a lot of reasons, but one of them is more often than not, the ending, it's so disappointing. And sometimes I feel that about Korean dramas. Not that I've seen that many Korean dramas, but at least the ones that I've watched the ending, I'm like, oh, well, they got back together. Like the one that I watched with the alien guy and the girl. And at the end of the day, they just got back together. It's the end of the story. The ending of a story is so important. But have you ever thought about the ending of your story? Have you ever thought about the ending of the story of the world? If there is indeed a God, a creator, who gave us his word, who is active, living, and alive, and his will is being unfolded each and every day, throughout every year, throughout every century, then do you ever wonder how that story ends? How does God plan to conclude what's been happening in the world? And maybe that seems kind of far-fetched for us where we are today. Maybe it feels like we're in a season that won't end. I mean, maybe some of us have just kind of resigned ourselves to say, life with COVID, it's never going to end. This is life. I'm never going to see another human being outside my family. Or when we just look at, man, the craziness of this world, saying it's always been like this, it'll always be like this, it's never going to end. But is that God's story? Because if it is, it's a terrible story, because this is a really bad ending. But I think when we look at scripture, we see a totally different picture. And so I want to invite all of us to turn to the book of Revelation. Chapter 22, and we'll jump in. Cool beans? Let's go. Verse 1 of 22, it reads, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of a great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more light. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun. The Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Let's continue on to verse six. Then the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angels to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Thanks be to God. You know, when we're talking about stories, and I'm talking about fictional stories, I'm talking about the story of our lives and the story of the world, there are important things that we need to consider. When we're thinking about our own personal story, when we're thinking about our lives, there's important questions like, who are we? Why are we here? What's wrong with my life? What's wrong with the world? Is there any hope that things will be fixed or will things always remain the same? What happens when I die? These are important questions. And how you answer these questions, it will dictate literally everything in your life. It'll dictate the college that you go to, the career that you decide upon, the spouse that you will choose one day. It'll even dictate your day-to-day activities, all depending on how you answer these critical questions. But how do we answer them? Who are we? Why are we here? What's wrong with the world? Is there any hope to fix it? What happens when we die? When we look at the Bible, we see that the answer is found when we understand our story in light of the greater story that God is painting. That we will find the answer to how this all ends when we understand what God is doing. And it is only when we understand the greater story that you and I are a part of that we understand how to look at the world that we live in. Because when we only see things from our story, our lens, well, kind of like we talked about last week, it can feel rather hopeless. But is that how God's story ends? I think when we look at this passage, it's clear that that's not the case at all. It doesn't end in a hopeless state. That God's justice reigns supreme. And that his justice brings a fullness of life that can only be experienced under his rule and his reign. So I want us to examine that, but not just in light of Revelation 22, because for us to understand this, we're going to have to go back to the beginning. And by the beginning, I mean with Adam and Eve. You see, when God created Adam and Eve, he made them in his image, to be his image bearers. We've talked about that a lot, right? And he placed them in the garden. And what were they supposed to do? Well, what do gardeners do? They grow and they tend. They cultivate the garden. And in this garden, through their cultivation, they were called to worship God, to praise God, to obey Him. And if they did that, all would be well. The goodness that they were made for and that they were made out of would continue to multiply and expand. This is the way that God designed it. He say, hey, if you live under my rule, if you submit to my authority, all will be well. There will be fullness. There will be satisfaction. There will be a richness if you obey me. That under God's rule and God's law, the culture that would be promoted was a culture of harmony, of peace, of unity, and of fullness. And it is only under God's regime that such a thing would be possible. So all Adam and Eve had to do was to submit. And yet we know what happens, right? Adam, who was called to be a gardener, he attempts to take what did not belong to him. He wanted rights that only belonged to God. He wanted an authority over his own life that only belonged to God. He wanted to dictate things on his own. And this is what we call the fall. And the consequences have been tremendous. It was like a slap to the face. It's saying, God, you've created all this goodness. 
but I'm going to do things my way. You know, earlier today, I was um, laying in bed with my son. Before, he used to sleep in his crib by himself, but we've changed things, and so he sleeps with us now. It's, I mean, it's both good and bad. Uh, but here's one of the bad things that happened. I was laying there. He had woken up, and when he wakes up, I pretend like I'm still sleeping in hopes that he still sleeps, um, but that wasn't the case. And so he crawled over my face, and as he started to crawl over my face and make it to the other side, he farted. He farted in my face, like legit, unapologetically just farted in my face. I'd like to imagine that that's what it was like when Adam sinned against God, like farting in God's face. Like, God, you have done all of this. You've made all this goodness. And yet I'm just going to do what I want to do. And so in doing so, that there were consequences. And these consequences, I'm going to break them down into three categories. Satisfaction, fullness, and purpose. And that's what we're going to examine in light of Genesis 22. Let's start with satisfaction. It's immediately clear that when we look at the fall and the curses that were given, that there was going to be an emptiness that Adam and Eve would experience. Adam would have to work the ground and it would produce thorns and thistles and that he would eventually die. That Adam, in a labor that would once bring a lot of satisfaction, yielding great fruit, it would now yield pain. That the work wouldn't be enough. The same goes for Eve. Eve would desire her husband, but he would rule over her. What does that mean? On a relational sense, she would never be able to find full satisfaction in a relationship with her husband. And I think we still live in that era, don't we? Where even our best work never leaves us fully satisfied because there's always more work to do. That even the greatest relationships that we can have, they don't bring full satisfaction because there's things that go wrong. Heck, even in the world that we live in, that there isn't a true satisfaction that we can find, especially with all the uncertainty that you and I are in today. And yet, that's not how the story ends. When we look at, Je- when we look at Revelation 22, we see a river. Now, a river is important. When we look throughout the Bible, a river was often used as a metaphor for the presence of God. In fact, when we look at the garden, there was a river, the river of life that flowed through the garden. And when Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, they were banished from the river of life. And pretty much the story of humanity since the fall has been the story of our thirst to get back to the garden, to get back into the presence of God. When we look at the prophets of old, they're always using this image of water. Ezekiel talks about a river flowing from the temple. The prophet Zechariah talks about living water flowing out of Jerusalem. But here in Revelation 22, at the end of all things, we see a river flowing through the city. Now, why is that important? It's important because a river that provides water quenches thirst. This is why our Lord Jesus says, come, whoever is thirsty and drink. Now, what does that remind you of? For me, it reminds me of Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman. He meets her at a well as she's coming at the hottest point of the day to draw water. 
And Jesus starts talking not about a physical thirst, but about a spiritual thirst that she and everyone else has. And this spiritual thirst, it speaks of a deep satisfaction that we long for. Jesus says, I know you are thirsty, and only I can quench that thirst forever. You just have to come and drink. You know, everyone, we've all been suffering because of the curse that happened at the Garden of Eden, trying to get back, trying to get back to a place of peace and tranquility. We're all suffering from a pain of a need that has not been satisfied. I think when you look at the world around us, it's clear that there is a lack of satisfaction and there is an abundance of pain. There's pain of the quarantine season. There's pain in the civil unrest. There's just pain looking at the world that we live in. And yet God promises a day where we will be deeply satisfied, where those pains will be eliminated. And I think we all recognize that. I think we recognize the pain of not being satisfied. It's like when you're craving a certain food, right? Only that food can bring full satisfaction. Everything else will fall short. Right now, do you want to know what I'm craving? Waffle House. Don't tell my wife. I want Waffle House so bad. No joke, guys. The other day, I literally sat in a Waffle House parking lot for like 10 minutes. I didn't go in. I couldn't do it. But I just sat there because the craving was so bad. I longed for it so much. And only Waffle House could fully satisfy that craving. But likewise, you and I have specific cravings. This world that we live in has a specific craving for peace, for tranquility, for dignity, for unity, and for harmony. And yet we see that the fulfillment of that can only come from the river of life that is promised by God. You and I cannot be satisfied here fully. Even when COVID ends, even when the civil unrest stops, we will not be fully satisfied. Why do I say that? Well, look at John's interaction here. John sees this angel who has been revealing these things. And he bows down to worship the angel. And the angel says, don't do that. Why? Angels are awesome. Angels are cool. If I saw one, I'd probably bow down too. But the angel says, no. See, you, you were made in the image of God. And that means only God can truly satisfy you. Only God is worthy of your adoration. Only he can quench what you are looking for. And look at the things of this world, guys. Family, friends, hobbies, a good Netflix series, that new, sh that new movie that looks awesome, The Old Guard. These are good, but they're never enough. And Jesus says, come, because only I can invite you into a place of true, deep satisfaction. And I think we are becoming more and more aware as a people of a need for this type of satisfaction, that only his beauty, his face, and his river can be the thing that sustains us. That's what happens when God rules. That's what happens when God reigns. See, when we take control, we'll never find satisfaction. 
We'll always work the ground and not find it to be enough. We'll always look for relationships and never find it to be enough. We'll always try to promote our brand of justice and find it to be enough. That's why no organization, no movement, or no president could fully fix the problems that will satisfy the longings of a hungry people. Only God can. Only God can truly satisfy. After the fall, though, we also see a lack of fullness. What do I mean by that? Well, Adam and Eve, they procreate. They have sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel were best friends and they lived happily ever after, right? No, Cain killed Abel, y'all. See, they were supposed to multiply. They were supposed to promote God's goodness. And yet when their family unit got a little bit larger, the tension grew and one brother killed another. So that family system was broken and there was a lot of relational decay happening. And we see that continue on and on throughout the story of scripture and the story of the world that we live in. And yet look at how the story ends. We see that there is a great street in a city. Now, isn't that strange? God starts the story off in a garden, but you know what? He ends it off in a city, not a mansion, not a countryside inn, not Hogwarts, but a city. Why? When God created Adam and Eve, he called them to subdue the earth and to cultivate, to grow the garden. You see, a gardener doesn't just leave the ground alone. A gardener brings out the ultimate beauty of the garden. And likewise, that is what God has called humanity to do, to promote life so that there is a fullness to life. Because the difference between a garden and a garden city is that a city is teeming with life to use the resources that have been given to us to create, to find beauty for art so that life itself can flourish. But if you look at our cities today, that's not exactly what it looks like, right? I mean, when you go to Atlanta, you gotta be careful what you drive just because the potholes are about the size of a human body. But there's also craziness happening in cities like Portland where there's so much unrest. Our cities aren't places of teeming fullness. Often they're pictures of decay. But that's not what God has intended. He has not intended for cities to be depleted places, but places of great fullness. Fullness that is teeming of life. And I think we here we have a point of application for ourselves. It's a reminder of what we are called to do with the resources that we have been given to us for the city that we live in, for the country that we live in. So not to use these resources for ourselves, but to cultivate things so that beauty can flourish in the world that we live in, because that's the beauty that God is ending the story with, a city that is full of life. That's what gardeners do. How do we do that? Well, I think one of the ways, brothers and sisters, I don't want to sound like your parents, but I think it's important that we study hard. Like, don't get all of your information from Twitter. Don't get all your facts from blogs. If the most that you know about science comes from Bill Nye, you got to be better. 
that dude's not even a scientist. If all of your knowledge about culture comes from TikTok, we got some problems. If all of our information about even the Bible comes from someone's Instagram story, we have a problem. <laughs> I think we should study hard because God has given us resources to do so, so that we can promote his goodness, that we can promote his fullness in the city that we live in. This world is a crazy place, and our world already has the largest supply of ignorance. I think what we need are believers who are thoughtful, heartfelt, and intelligent to make meaningful changes in the world that we live in because we have been given great resources, not just for ourselves, it's not for us, but it's for God's purposes so that we can bring fullness back into a depleted world. And we can do so because we know that one day that fullness, it's gonna be permanent and impenetrable because that's what God brings in this garden city. But the last thing is purpose. You know, with Adam and Eve, they tried to live for their own purpose. They tried to live for their own means. And you know where that got them. Just like us, what happens when we live for our own means and our own purpose? We throw people aside. It's only about us. And so a purpose gets lost. Because if our purpose was originally to serve God to promote what he's about, but all of a sudden we start promoting what we are about, then things have gotten askew. But when we look here, we're told that in the city, all are worshiping God and the Lamb. And it's all for his glory, to make his name great. Not just for our enjoyment. And that's what some cities are about, and that's what some cultures are about, just for our enjoyment, right? But not this one. And I'm not saying that there aren't things to enjoy and that, there aren't, that enjoyment doesn't help spur things forward. But we see that our purpose, the end of the story, tells us that our purpose is all for the glory of God. Now, what does that mean? You know, Pastor Stephen, I've heard that a lot. What does that mean right now? I want to suggest this. I think for us, what that means is we need to be a people that start thinking about how we can make God's glory visible to the world that you and I live in. Let's say it again. If this city is all about God, and that's where peace and tranquility and harmony exist, then we need to be a people who try to make visible the glory of God in the world that you and I live in. How do we do that? I think the first is to be a people who stand for truth, who stand for truth even when it's unpopular, to stand for truth even when everyone else might be against us, to say what is right, not what is popular and what is convenient and what is trendy, but what is true, what is timeless, and what is secure. I think we are supposed to be a people who are about God's grace, mercy, and justice because we understand God's mercy, grace, and justice. The second thing is I think we're called to be a people that represent healing, healing to the city that we live in, healing to the families that we are part of, and healing to the world that we live in. And in doing so, we're showing that for us, our lives aren't just about ourselves, but it's ultimately about God and his glory and promoting what he is about. And that's where we fit into. But when we talk about these three things though, the satisfaction, the fullness, the purpose, how do we know that all of these things will come to pass one day? How do we know that even if we try this, even if we do these things, that it's actually gonna work, that something's actually gonna change. Well, it's right here. 
In verse 6, I'll read it again for us. These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. This angel says to John, these words are trustworthy and true. Why is that important? Because this is God's promise to us. This is God's promise to us of a world restored. And God's word stands true. Truer than any other word that has ever been spoken. Truer than any word that you and I have ever promised. His word stands true. And the Lord says here, I am coming soon. And when I come, I'm bringing this new restored reality into the world. How do we know that this is coming? Because we are people that don't live for ourselves. That we are people that don't trust ourselves in our own words. But we trust in God. And we trust that no matter how bad things might be, that his promises will always come to pass. So I think until then, the question that we need to ask ourselves then is, where does my satisfaction come from? Is it coming from social trends or is it coming from the Lord? Where does my fullness come from? Is it just living for myself or is it promoting God's justice in the world that I live in? And where is my purpose? Is it to glorify my own name or to glorify his? Because one way or another, brothers and sisters, this is how the story is going to end. I think the only question is, is your story going to line up with this one? Will our words, will our deeds and our actions line up with this one? You know, this marks the end of our biblical justice series. And we've explored a lot of facets of justice. We've explored the mercy, the forgiveness, the necessity, We've looked at multiple passages if we try to figure out what justice means. But at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, just because this series is ending doesn't mean that our goal of promoting biblical justice is ending. It ends when this story ends. It ends with Revelation 22. Until then, you and I have to continue on that path to reveal what is not seen in this world. Amen? Amen. Cool beans, guys. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, thank you. I thank you for this promised future that is secure. I thank you that your will will always come to pass. But until then, Lord, we want to be a part of this story. Not a part of our own stories and the storylines of this world, but we want to be part of your story of restoration, of healing, and of goodness, God. And so would you orient ourselves, us, to live lives in light of you. I thank you, and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.